Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On April 24th, 1980, three-year-old blonde, curly-haired Jeffrey Dupree headed out the door of his home in Slave Lake, Alberta, to play with his friend Rodney, who lived nearby. Jeffrey was wearing a long-sleeved beige shirt with brown trim and rust-colored pants. Jeffrey had flat feet and, as a result, was wearing dark brown orthopedic shoes. Wildfires burned just outside the town. Water bombers took off to try and quell the fire surrounding Slave Lake. It was hazy and smoky, and much of the local law enforcement and first responders were tied up dealing with the fires. At around 1 p.m., after Jeffrey said he would play with Rodney, his mother, Denise, went to transfer a load of laundry from the washing machine to the dryer. The window was open, and a few minutes later, she heard Rodney's dad call out for him to come inside. When Denise looked out the window a few minutes later and didn't see either boy, she assumed they'd both gone inside Rodney's house to play. But roughly 20 minutes later, Rodney showed up asking for Jeffrey. Something wasn't right. Denise called the police around 1.45 p.m., and within hours, hundreds of volunteers flooded the smoke-engulfed town to search for Jeffrey. Despite these efforts, he's never been found. It's been 43 years since Jeffrey went missing, and his mother Denise is still searching for answers to what happened to her son. If Jeffrey were still alive, he'd be 46 years old. He may wear glasses as his family is known to have a history of poor eyesight. His blondish hair might have darkened as well. One of his legs is shorter than the other, and he may walk with a limp. There's a detailed age progression photo that the RCMP have circulated that shows what Jeffrey might look like today. Private investigator Anna James, who works for the Recover Agency and on Jeffrey's case, came on the podcast to talk about what may have happened to Jeffrey and how we, the public, can help. I encourage you to visit the What Happened to Jeffrey Dupree Facebook page to see regular updates on the case. 
Denise has also started a GoFundMe to support the investigation, and if you can donate, it would be greatly appreciated. I'll link both in the description as well as Anna's contact info if you think you have any information to help with the case. Here's my conversation with Anna. I didn't really know who you were until I reached out about doing Jeffrey's case, and then I did some research on you, and you have uh, quite an incredible past. Uh, I'm wondering, before we get into the actual case, do you want to tell me a little bit about you and, and you know what your background is and how you became uh, to be a private investigator? I've been working in media for about 10 years now, just over 10 years. Uh, I actually started out in baseball journalism, of all things, uh, and I've been slowly moving throughout my career into investigative journalism. So my last my last job uh, in journalism was up in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories, for anyone who doesn't know where that is. Um, it's very cold up there. And I was working up there uh, as the crime reporter for a local newspaper, and I came across Jeffrey's profile. I was on a missing person site. I was doing a series on missing and murdered Indigenous women, and I was trawling through this, this I thought, you know, looking up what uh, kind of local cases. And, and obviously I'm not from here, so, so I actually thought Jeffrey was in the Northwest Territory, or well, that's where it originated, but it was actually from, he's from Slave Lake, Alberta. Uh, so there was something about his photo that, that totally struck me. He's just like this, and a lot of people have seen this, this cherub kind of beautiful curly ringed yeah, boy. And I tried to look up a few, I tried to do a bit of research and I couldn't really find that many stories on him. Um, I've later kind of figured out it's because he, it was in the 1980s. So a lot of things, there was a bit of coverage from CBC, for example, but, but it's all been since archived. But I was kind of, I'm kind of perplexed why there wasn't so much coverage on this. I mean, this was a boy who was taken from his home, um, and it was a stranger abduction, which we know is, is extremely rare. I think it's 0.01% of, of all, um, children abductions here in Canada. Uh, so I got in contact with, um, uh, Jeffrey's mum, Denise McKee, and we started this conversation. Now, during this time in my life, I, w- I was kind of considering going into private investigation and getting my licence. I ended up taking a leave of absence for about six months to sort out some health issues. Um, and in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I can do more for Denise um, in this case than just simply write about it. So I um, started doing some more research and I uh, got my licence and, and Jeffrey was my motivation. You then now are, you know, a private investigator looking into Jeffrey's case. And I know it might be a little difficult and you might have to skirt around what you're looking into because it is an active investigation. But can you talk about like, you know, what you looked into when you took on the case and kind of what angles you're pursuing? And then obviously we'll get into some more details with some of the other questions. But I'm just curious, like from the get go, you know, what angle or, or you know, what what way were you going to look at Jeffrey's case that was maybe different from how other people have viewed it? It's been, it, it's, it, it's a massive case because uh, it's a cold case. It's 43 years old. Uh, so it's been pretty overwhelming. Um, but I'm working under the supervision of Pacific Coast Investigations, uh, which is based uh, on the island, Vancouver Island, uh, under Bill Bilson. And he has an extraordinary um, portfolio, like a, like a experience and is a four of our RCMP. So, so he's kind of guiding me through this. Uh, now the, the initial thing, and then this is on Bill's advice is to interview people to, to start there. I mean, and start with the day that he went missing. So I've been talking to neighbors. Um, I've been talking to people who have lived in slave life their entire lives, you know, these quirky kind of characters who kind of know what's going on and, and, and people, frankly, who don't talk to the police. So, 
So I started there. Um, and then we opened a tip line. So um, the tip line has been flooded with, with, with tips and, and some of them are really, you know, obscure. And, and I, as I'm working, my license is under supervision. I'm, I'm always kind of calling my mentors and kind of figuring out how to, how to tackle this because it's, it's, as I said, it's huge. So with the tip line, um, we're in this process of um, logging everything um, and checking everything out. So some of the tips are coming from Slave Lake. The majority, I would say, are coming from Slave Lake. But then we do get the ones from, you know, Ontario, who's like, you know, this guy looks like a guy who works at my local liquor store. Or, you know, oh, that you know, I saw these photos back in the 90s of a little kid who looks exactly like Jeffrey. And one of the pieces of advice that the current investigator, the lead investigator, Sergeant Morton told me is, you know, just log everything. Like everything should be checked out. Everything's important. So, so it's it's been it's been quite the workload, but it's been awesome. Another component of this is actually uh, using my media experience. I work under my own brand uh, called Recover, um, and that's providing uh, like media services. So actually getting the tip line out there, getting the age progression sketch out there. Um, so I did a huge push around uh, Christmas. I thought that was the ideal time to get, you know, his face out there and get people talking over Christmas dinner kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, that, that was another thing. I mean, when I took on this case, you know, I'm totally heart-driven, you know, like you, you can't really afford to be like, okay, I'm going to work 10 hours on this this week. It, it is all consuming, but but it's very rewarding. And I just remember a certain scene in my apartment where every single surface, flat surface, was covered with, like, Jeffrey's face. <laughs> there was, like, posters. You know, I sent out about 60 packages, you know, eight to Wabasca, like, four to London, Ontario, um, you know, all these people online were like, okay, I can put some posters up at work or my home or whatever. And I was like, okay, how many do you want? What's your address? And and I literally, you know, had this thousand posters printed and picked them out and did that. So so that was my Christmas holidays. But, you know, the relief that is given Denise um, is immeasurable. So I was uh, kind of sleuthing online and reading about this case. And I noticed something that there was reports of perhaps maybe Jeffrey was drawn or lured to like a blue truck and there was one or more people there. I think a man and a woman. Can you, can you tell me about that sighting and what we might know about that truck and those people? Now I'm still working with the RCMP on, on exactly who were the witnesses and I might not be privy to that, but we do know the witnesses said that Jeffrey was approached by a woman who was in a passenger seat of a Chevrolet or GMC pickup truck with chrome wheels. Now, the original investigator said, told me that it was faded three, four shades laterally blue. So it's a custom paint job. Now, the vehicle was believed to be a new model. So a make between 1978 to 1980, 1981, and was being driven by a man. Now, witnesses say he was placed in the vehicle by the woman, and then they drove off. Now, the RCMP had searched several databases of registered vehicles that matched the description of that vehicle at the time and were unable to produce any further leads. Uh, they even put that tip, the truck tip, in car and trucking magazines. So it, it has been exhausted, but, but there, there, is still, there is still hope for that. Um, now, the license plate could have been Alberta or uh, Northwest Territory uh, plates, and I'm still confirming that. Now, Mounties 
still believe that this is a key detail that could break the case. So one of the uh, more interesting things that uh, I found out about this case kind of through you, uh, there's a little bit of information online, but not much. There's this person of interest named Clint, and I'm wondering if you can tell me how they fit into the case and, and what you're looking for from them. Now, now, usually investigations are kind of open investigations are closed, but I think just because we have, frankly, reached it and on this one, um, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Uh, so with Clint, so when I inherited this case, um, Denise gave me access to, there is a Facebook group called What Happened to Jeffrey Dupre. So she has, I went through about, you know, the last 10, 15 years since it opened of Facebook messages. There have been tips, there have been people who have come forward, these kind of things. Um, and Denise, you know, at some point, um, some points, Denise hasn't gotten back to them and that's not out of disinterest. It's just, it's really exhausting, um, as you can imagine. And she doesn't want to get a hope hopes up so basically um clint came into the picture so clint sent a message to the facebook group uh in 2020 and he claimed to be jeffrey now clint sent us photos of him himself currently he also sent photos of who he alleged were his parents the abductors and also pictures of him as a kid uh, so in total, there was about 10 photos. Now, what we've done with that tip is, A, I've reached out to him several times. I've had a colleague reach out to him several times. Um, he also wrote, like, a long, a long descriptive kind of thing with a few details in there. So we've gone through that with a fine-tooth comb multiple times and, and tried to verify that, including the last name that he provided. Um, we've gone through yearbooks. I've had a friend, you know, go up to Alberta and go through yearbooks and, and try and match him. Um, we've gone through um, voting records on in PEI. I mean, we've just used every little word that he's given us to try and locate him, but we still can't find him. So I don't know if Clint is Jeffrey, but I have to look at everything. And, and I would like to speak, speak with Clint. So, Clint, if you're out there, please contact me directly, Anna J. James, uh, and, and I will speak with you in a confidential manner. As I said, it's not ideal to go to the media with this, but, but it, I definitely want to exclude him. Another person uh, that you told me about kind of before we started rolling that you wanted me to ask you about is a person named Larry. I'm wondering, can you tell me about that person and what they mean to the case? Uh, now, Larry came to um, came to our attention that he he wrote to Denise to the, via the Facebook page in 2010. Around then, uh, now Larry um, is based in Michigan in the US. Uh, we've since he claims also to be Jeffrey. We've since there was a little bit initially there was a bit of back and forth with Larry. Um, I believe it was Chris. Um, Dupre, which is Denise's other son. She has two sons and Jeffrey. Um, so I think there was a bit of back and forth and there was discussions about getting a DNA test and things like that. Now, Larry interests me. His story is, is very wild, but, but he's visually, visually his photo is, is very compelling. So I do would like to speak with him. Now, uh, on Clint and Larry, both of them believe that they've been adopted by by their parents and raised, you know, with, with not their biological parents. So I would like to offer this. So with the help of an excellent genealogist based in Edmonton, Drish uh, Federico Millard, 
Um, and she will actually work with both these guys and and get um, some DNA testing. So she actually, I had a chat with her the other day, she actually said, look, if they aren't, we need to send tests out to them, but if they aren't, Jeffrey, we'll, she'll also help find their families so or verify that, you know, they've been living with the right families. So so I think that's a pretty cool offer. So, again, Larry, if, if you're out there, please get in contact with me because we would like to speak with you. And I just want to say this blanket, uh, blanket statement, but basically, you know, if somebody's come forward and they have they have submitted a tip and they haven't been contacted and it's been years, we still want to go through it. We still want I will I will listen to you. Um, and they haven't been ignored on purpose. It's just been incredibly overwhelming for Denise. Yeah, I can't imagine that must be really really difficult on her um, having these people come forward and say, you know, I'm I'm your son. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It seems like to me then, Anna, like when I, I I'm much very much an outsider when it comes to this case. I'm not as uh, immersed in it as you are, but it seems like between you know what we just talked about with Larry and Clint and some of the other information I've read online, uh, and even from statements from the police and uh, uh, Denise, that there's a good chance Jeffrey might be alive. Is that is that what you, what you feel as well? There is one big tip in this case, and that is of a couple driving a blue truck and coaxing Jeffrey into the blue truck. Now, based on this tip, if this is real, there are four four or five likely scenarios, right? So let's go through them. So he was taken and killed shortly after. Now, unfortunately, statistically, this is the most likely outcome, now, I spoke with the RCMP uh, lead detective on this. Now, his DNA and his bones have never been matched in a system, uh, but they were looking for a, a young a young kid, like a toddler, not, not an adult. Um, now, the second one, he was taken and raised as somebody else's child. This is what I instinctually believe, right? The sighting of the woman in that truck makes me believe that. Now, interestingly, we have been developing, myself and and my mad scientist tech guru, um, we've been developing an AI system um, and a, a chat just for this case. And when we fed pieces of this case into the AI system, that scenario came out. 
he was raised and as somebody else's child and it was a couple who had recently lost a child. Now, that, that's what the AI came up with. And that's, that's, not, that's not why I believe that, but I do think the presence of a woman makes it less likely that he was taken to be killed. Uh, there's another one that, you know, he was taken, he lived for a while, however long, and then he died in an accident, suicide or a drug overdose. Like, would you have to contend with if he was taken by a couple, you know, that they might not, they might have mistreated him, he might, he might be, you know, he might have been abused. And, and you know, if, that, if that's the scenario, he may have turned to drugs, suicide, you know, that these things could be possible. Um, and then, yeah, he's still alive. And then that's that's what that's what I feel, and and I feel like that's what Denise feels, and and I think that that's what the RCMP that the way that they they are communicating to the media, I think that that's the theory that they're working on. I could be wrong. Um, and then I would do want to add. I remember talking to um, a a detective who works in um, a child exploitation unit out in Saskatchewan. Um, he was around when Jeffrey went missing. Um, he followed the case for years, decades. And, you know, I remember him saying, you know, this case is a doozy, but it is totally solvable. And in his heart, he believes Jeffrey is still alive. That uh, AI program or system that you just mentioned, that sounds like pretty new tech. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Well, I've been working with an AI system that, that in-house we call Gary, as in like, ah, it's Gary. Um, and I, I was starting to use it to plan media strategies at Recover. Then I wondered how we could use it to solve crimes, right? So I started talking to Gary about Jeffrey. Uh, the tool works in like a conversational way. Like the more you talk to it, the more it learns about you and its information back. Um, so things like, you know, AI is great because it can identify patterns and connections with vast amounts of data. And you can imagine like a case 43 years old there is like tens of thousands of documents cassette tapes all that kind of stuff if there's a possibility to put this all into the ai system you know you can make connections between like phone records financial transactions social media activity and forensic evidence you know you can like create like patterns and and leads and clues so it just gives you more more not information as such but but it arranges the information in a way you can look at like that could be a likely scenario. That could be a possible scenario. Maybe I should look into that. So it's just, it's another tool. You know, I don't think anything's ever going to replace, you know, boots on the ground, you know, investigation work. I think interviewing person to person, sitting down, having a chat is the most effective. But, you know, why not try it? Why not try it? This is the way of the world. And especially with cold cases, applying new technology to cold cases, like, you know, that's that's the tools that we have and wasn't available back in the day. So, no, why not? Why not experiment? Jeffrey's case, as we talked about, is I, I, what I would call technically a cold case, even though I think a lot of people don't always like that term. Um, it's also a historical case. As you mentioned, it's more than 40 years since he's gone missing. How difficult is it for an investigator like yourself to get the public, the police, and, and keep people interested in something that happened so long ago? It's good that you mentioned that no, uh, the cold case, not everyone likes that term because it's true. And I always say, like, it never grows cold for the family, right? So I do, we do want to make, I, I do want to make a point about, you know, we know cold cases are notoriously underfunded. RCMP resources are limited, but they still, they still work for the public, and they, you know, when they take on a case, they're still answerable. So. 
we're working. Denise and I are working with with the new uh, the new investigator to rebuild that relationship because there was a period where where she wasn't getting the information she needed or she was she didn't feel like there was any communication. So we're rebuilding that, and we're cautiously optimistic that this will that that this will pan out and that they're going to start working on it. So. About a month ago, they, they did a big um, a media announcement uh, and the RCMP and and they said that, they, that this case is still very much alive and they're still looking into it. Um, and I'm just kind of getting my head around, to be fair, the RCMP, the magnitude of, of this of this case. I mean, you know, um, and I'm not privy to what's in the file. You know, I can work alongside or you know assist the RCMP, but I'm not. I'm not privy to the internal mechanics of this. So, so it's interesting trying to work out that dynamic and, and privacy laws and things like that. But I am told tens of thousands of pieces of mat, like pieces of your pen and paper of tips. You know, so the sheer to sit down would take and go through the file would take would take years, right? So we're going to do the best we can with, with what we have, right? And and I, I would like to take this opportunity to thank Denise's small army. Um, for example, we have a lady, um, Lisa Jo Shield. I hope I said that right. Now, she is a scientist and she's based in the US. She came to us and was like, okay, how can I help? Um, and she recently um, was part of a team that helped solve a 51-year-old kidnapping case. So they actually located um, a, a woman, Melissa Highsmith, who was found alive 50, from 51 years after she'd been taken from her parents. So, I mean, I mean, that's huge. So we have awesome, really highly skilled people coming out of the woodworks, working for free, work, volunteering their time to do this. And it's not just the high-profile scientists. It's like also, you know, the mums and pops who will go take out, shuffle down to Walmart uh, with the posters of Jeffrey and stick them up. Um, but the best part about this a cold case is like we feel like we have the support of the public and people are still invested in it especially people from slave like they're awesome you know after 43 years people still want answers and and that 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 gives me hope so you just kind of alluded to it in that last question there um you know that uh, it's important to to get the help of the public and, and law enforcement in these cases so right now like as of today you know, how can the public help? Are there tip lines, you know, whether both to you and the RCMP, uh, you know, a GoFundMe? Like, I know there's quite a bit going on with the case to help support it. Can you tell me about some of those initiatives? Ideally, I would like to direct the public, if, if they can, to send their tips directly to Slave Lake RCMP. Having said that, if you don't want to talk to the police, you can talk straight to me uh, at coveragency.com. The tip line is still open. I'm the only person who has access to it. I'm not a cop. I'm not a lawyer. I, I'm just I'm here to listen and provide some relief for the families. So if you want to talk to me, you go through recoveragency.com, but ideally go straight to the RCMP. Um, we also, the GoFundMe, which we launched around Christmas, is still open and we do need support. Now, we've spent about 10%, about 10% of our goal, which is 20000 we've moved mountains. So we got a um, postering campaign, um, an age progression photo. We, we've done it. We've done it 
huge things with just 10% of our goals. So we have still so much work to do. Um, and one of the expenses will be uh, sending a licensed, a PI who's licensed in Alberta, I'm licensed in BC, to actually go there um, and get on the ground there and slave lake and talk to people um, who, who aren't comfortable talking to the RCMP. And I have a small list of people just willing to talk. So, so that time's pressing. And, and if you can afford it, even 10 bucks, it will move this along. So that would be appreciated. Um, and finally, um, we're opening up the opportunity for community partnerships. So we are looking for four community partners only. Now, these are businesses or individuals who want to make an investment of over $1,000, $1,000 or over to see this case through. Now, with the consent of the family, our partners will be able to see inside our investigation and they will be privy first to any breaks that, that we have. So we want to have this close-knit group of just four community partners, myself and Denise, and 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 be really inside, uh, you know, inside a cold case. And I think that that would be a wonderful investment. Um, and thinking about it, you know, like any money that you give us is also contributing to you know, writing the blueprint for missing kid cases. So it's not just about Jeffrey, all the information, everything where I'm learning through this experience, I'll be sharing. So things like AI, for example, or DNA and, and new tools that we have, hopefully somebody can can learn along with me and, and pick up those tools and apply them to their own cases. So an investment in Jeffrey's case is an investment for, for missing kids everywhere. So you mentioned in kind of like our pre-interview chat that there was some uh, information pertaining to DNA in the case as well. Can you uh, can you tell me about that? Uh, we have two genealogists who are volunteering their time and expertise. Now we've got Lisa Joe in the US and Trish here in Edmonton. Now we have taken DNA from Denise and uploaded it. They've uploaded it into several databases, including 23andMe, Ancestry.com. Now, there have been no hits. However, there is still hope because Ancestry.com, for example, um, over 2 million profiles are uploaded every day. So there is the possibility that, you know, new information is going to come out. There's also the chance that somebody has put... Um, they're, they're building their family tree, but actually put it on private. So we're not getting access to that. So while we haven't, we have done that and there was no initial hits, nothing for Jeffrey, nothing close enough to be a son or a grandson. That's still working in the background. So does this mean that Jeffrey is likely in Canada or could he be anywhere in the world? Like how far is this search expanding? I like to think, you know, I, hopefully he's still in Canada, but there, there is the possibility that he was taken because of his size. You know, he could have been transported um, by a couple and concealed quite easily um, into the States. Now, we have an excellent media liaison, Diana Griffin, and she is based in Ontario near Denise, and she's in the process of sending the updated age progression sketch to worldwide databases. So we're looking at, like, NamUs, RCMP databases, the Doe Network. Diana was actually instrumental in sending the updated age progression sketch to the RCMP, which resulted in this this whole you know wave of media. Uh, so so we are expanding our searches. So we're not just limiting to Canada, but we're going to start from Slave Lake and build outwards. If you know something that can help find Jeffrey, tips can be sent directly to Slave Lake RCMP 
by calling 780-849-3999. Additionally, Recover Agency has set up an independent tip line, which is linked in the description. And as Anna mentioned, you can reach out to her directly as well. I've posted her email in the description too. Please have a look at the age progression photo, which is on the What Happened to Jeffrey Dupree Facebook page. You can also find a link to the GoFundMe there. Lastly, if you or anyone you know needs help getting public awareness and exposure of a missing or murdered loved one, consider getting in touch with Anna at the Recovery Agency. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show appreciation, you can buy me a coffee at the link in the description. If you want to support the podcast monthly, you can head to the Patreon. For $5 a month, you can add and sponsor free episodes, exclusive content, and early access to all new episodes of the podcast. I'll also post monthly updates on what's to come, so you know what I have in the works and what to expect. Thanks for listening to the Missing and Unexplained podcast. I'm Eve Lazarus, and I'm the host and producer of Cold Case Canada. When I first started researching cold cases, I was shocked to discover that there are literally hundreds of unsolved murders in British Columbia, some dating back several decades. The victims are essentially invisible now, forgotten by everyone except family and friends. I wanted to change that and tell the stories of their lives and not just of their murders. I've interviewed the detectives who worked on these files. I've worked closely with family and friends of the victims. I've looked at the forensics and I've followed the police investigation. I'm convinced that many of these murders and missing persons cases can still be solved. Find Cold Case Canada on Apple, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts.